0: When I was getting this podcast off the ground, we first started as the Wedgecast, evolved into the Map Action show. There was a lot of questions that we had, like, how do I record an episode? How do I get my show in all the different places like Spotify, Apple Music, Anchor, Zencaster, all these different places. And yet it just seemed very, very complicated. But the simple thing for us as we began to navigate the waters is the answer to every single one of these questions, questions excuse me, was really simple. It's Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free. Yeah, free. And it's ridiculously easy to use. And now Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. That means you can get paid to podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now. Yeah. Making money. Okay. It's sweet. It's easy. It's not a big cheap plug on an ad, but it's just simple and easy to use. So for us, it's one of the best parts about it is we can do it entirely remote or in studio. So you can record. You've got that really, really high, you know, high in the sky person that you're going to have as a guest in your podcast. You got to do it remote. Anchor is easy to use. You got people who are willing to come to your studio, your house, your office, wherever you're recording it. Boom. Anchor. Love it. Simple, easy, simple and easy to use. So if you ever want to start a podcast, make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start. Join me in the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. Can't wait to hear your podcast. On this episode of The Wedgecast, I'm hanging out with Michael Leckie. Michael Lecky is the chief learning officer at Bloomberg in New York. Michael Leckie is a phenomenally intelligent guy who loves to learn. His role kind of indicts that and creates that. But he also loves being a part of developing learning environments for other people. And he dives into this episode, what does that actually mean? And he's also in the process of writing a book that I think might be pretty groundbreaking in the context of Uh, combining humanity in the digital marketing age, and just some fantastic stuff. So check out this episode. It's great. He's great. Wedge is great. Thanks. Hi, everybody. I'm uh, hanging out here with Michael Leckie. He is the chief learning officer at Bloomberg. And he is just an absolutely brilliant man. He's one of those guys who, uh, the few times I've had the chance to talk to him, I have just been absolutely blown away. He's in the process of writing a book. He's leading people. He's transforming people. He's just doing these amazing things. So, very excited to have him, have you on the show. So, Michael, thanks for being here.
1: Well, thank you for having me. And uh, it's going to be all downhill from here after that introduction. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know about that, but that's great. So, Michael, can you just dive in a little bit about your background and how it led up to being the chief learning officer at Bloomberg?
1: Uh, yeah, sure. And it's um, it's not a straight path by any means. I actually had this conversation <laughs> with my son who's in uh, university recently, and he talked about, well, how did you kind of map out your career and get where you were? And I said, oh, I wish I'd done that. But I was really uh, kind of guided by two things. Uh, one was a question of is, is where – Where can i make the world a better place to work and to live um probably one organization at a time and then where was the most growth and so i started out as an undergrad student in psychology and thought i'd you know be a clinical psychologist or something and kind of lost the fire for that towards my senior year and just sort of moved towards business uh didn't know much about it wasn't raised in a business environment my parents were school teachers in the state of montana where i grew up so um but i kind of followed those those two things and it's taken me through a a number of roles um i've had you know consulting roles both in you know small and then like you know big five or whatever there is left firms um and uh i've run uh, a human resources and kind of all aspects of hr talent od learning etc for in large and small organizations and uh, and have my own pnl as a business leader for one of my uh, one of my business clients once they brought me in and said why don't you put your money where your mouth is with all this people talking and, and run a business and be responsible for the revenue so um I've, I've done all that um most recently prior to bloomberg i was the chief learning officer but for an idea, uh, not a a business, for um, the idea or the concept of of the digital transformation effort that was underway at at GE. Uh, And then got into that role because I spent a little over 12 years with a great company, uh, Gartner, where I had the opportunity to be in an advisory role uh, to a lot of different C-level executives, but most have been the digital and technology space. So that's, in short, kind of how I got here.
0: Absolutely love it. So uh, I'm sorry, this is such a dumb question, but can you explain what a chief learning officer is? And I'm sure from different company to different company, it changes a little bit. But in in part, what would you describe as the chief learning officer's role, or duty, or responsibility?
1: You know, it's a great question. It's far from being a dumb one because it's a role in flux. Um, There, there wasn't. Much in the way of uh, people playing a chief learning officer role, like there wasn't much of a chief talent officer role for a long time, and heck, there wasn't a chief human resources officer role until not long ago. They were just the VP of HR and they sat under finance. But the the chief learning officer role, why a role at that level has started to emerge, is because we're going from a world in which when we say the word learning we need training and and probably not very interesting training at that, but necessary. So compliance training, things like that, that, you know, allows you to check the box and it's moved into a place moving beyond just kind of shoveling content at people to helping, um, uh, helping people become, uh, helping people become better learners and, and learn how to have learning as a competitive advantage. So if you think of the Think of a garden and the uh, there's all sorts of plants in it. You can plant whatever plants you want. You can grow big, big nice ones and they can die because you don't pay attention to them or they can be little weeds. Well, that's kind of all the content potentially in subjects that we're trying to teach people. But the soil itself, you know, is it ready? Does it absorb things? Does it does it seek out, um, you know, uh, uh, things to be planted in? Is it really fertile? That's really what the chief learning officer role is about. So to step away from the the silly metaphors, um, for me, it's about how do you create a learning culture, which in its simplest form means that how do I create in the people in any given organization. Um, a mindset that when they walk in in the morning, they say, okay, what did I know to be true yesterday that might no longer be true today? And how do I find that out if I'm not sure? So I can adjust the assumptions I'm going to use to make decisions and move forward during the day. So it's that, it's that ability to learn is your strength, not the fact that you're, taking in a bunch of content. So that really changes the paradigm for, for learning into something much different um, than it's been before. Is that, is that helpful?
0: It's extremely helpful. Uh, If you don't mind, I might want to stay here for a second because this is just making my mind go in all different places. But one question I specifically have on that is, are you like, is the core functionality of your role? Is it to develop people so that they can become learning or more give them an avenue like give them the right resources when they become ready to learn that they not resource, but the right platform so that they can learn? Are you, is is it more talent development or more environment focus?
1: It's another great question. And it really depends on the organization and the people's playing the roles. But what we're finding, I think with these roles, like around heading up learning and heading up talent or just heading up the people role is that the, uh, the the kind of the 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 silos, the verticals that we put these people functions into, are are kind of false. So, I could talk about learning, and some, one person's going to think, "Oh, that's organizing a catalog of great online stuff I can look at when I want to learn a skill." But at the other end of that, it's working across the entire population. To develop core capabilities of the talent in every aspect of the organization, including and most importantly in the leadership, to really value learning over knowing. Um, and I'm gonna—I'll steal from uh, from my betters all the time. So um, Ed Hess and Catherine uh, Ludwig have a book called "Humility Is the New Smart," and Ed's one of the great thinkers in the learning space. And he he lays out how in a world where the problems we're facing are becoming much more complex and the speed at which the problems we're solving in our organizations or the customer needs we're meeting are changing at such a rapid pace that it's not what you know, but it's how well you come to know the next thing. And he has a statistic that I've just got to get the background from because it says that, what you know today what you know to be true has a shelf life of about 3 years which is a bit mind blowing but you think about all the things you knew that you know cars didn't drive themselves right i mean all the things that we knew as i was growing up that aren't true anymore and so helping people prepare to face into learning which requires a lot of humility it requires a that you you have the the, the the you know the, the ego in the best sense to lead an organization and yet the humility to stop and say, there's no way I can know everything. And in fact, my knowing something might be my downfall because my strength is my weakness. What am I going to learn today to improve myself and to know something different for however long it lasts? And that that requires a different way of looking at the world. So I think in its best expression, uh, the chief learning officer role in what learning does is creates those kinds of capabilities across people in an organization
0: does your in the context of that does your bucket get the most filled when you're learning
1: or when you're teaching me personally yeah well (laughs) so here's what's interesting about it um i never learn more than when i'm teaching so uh, sorry
0: say that again you never learn more than when you're teaching
1: yeah the best way for me to learn is to teach and i think for many of us as well but that means that you have to teach not from a perspective of expertise and know-it-all, but teach from a perspective of creating a, a vessel in whatever that you know room or virtual room or whatever it is, creating that vessel for the conversation, the dialogue, and the learning from others. So you can't be the sole authority behind the podium. Um, I, I recently, I was talking to someone today, and she said, I'd love to have you talk to a couple of my clients but I know you have your own job. I said no no, I'm I'm fine to, you know, find a coffee, carve out a lunchtime, do something in the evening to talk to your clients and help them because I'm always going to learn something when I try and help somebody else. So, you know, for me teaching is just creating that space in which everyone learns. You just have a little more of a of a facilitative role in really making it happen and directing where the conversation might be going.
0: Uh, it's funny, I think this might actually be my first time admitting this out loud. But that was basically the premise, uh, a selfish premise behind the whole podcast was it's, I can't learn at a rate to become an expert in all the different fields, a our business is trying to touch on and what I personally want to learn. But I can learn little bits and snippets. And I can guide what I want to learn by bringing on way smarter people than myself and just having a conversation about it. So I, it's, I'm glad to hear that. you're. It's, it's the same sort of context in that sense. That's, that's yeah. phenomenal. Absolutely. So so let's dive in a little bit. So uh, we've talked a little bit off air about your uh, in the process of, of writing a book, but mainly one of the things that you're fascinated by is this whole concept of digital transformation and the, the concept of how fast humanity is learning and pairing that with technology and how those two things go hand in hand. And so if you want to just dive in a little bit to talking about What is that? What have you seen that transformation happening, both, I guess, maybe in the personal context, but often also in the different work that you're doing? And then how does that translate into content that you're putting out there?
1: Yeah, uh, great question. So
0: <laughs> lo- lo- loaded question. There's a lot there.
1: Okay, so um, when I first started getting involved, I-, I got involved in change and transformation. You know, over 20 years ago when I was in graduate school, which it kind of pains me to put that year out there. But I became fascinated with with change. I became fascinated with organizational culture, and as I've watched what's happened, I've seen tremendous transformation in our. Technology, which we've all seen. I mean, we use technologies without thinking today that didn't exist, you know, a few years ago. I mean, some of them, they'll be brand new and they'll they'll pop into existence, and then you know, six months later, they're old hat. And someone recently uh, said to me at a, uh, a conference I was in, he said, "You know, Michael, we are um, we're in a world of fifth generation information technology and second generation, you know, human systems. I mean, the way we we manage and relate to people." really hasn't changed much from the kind of mechanistic models of, of early days uh, you know, in the industrial era. And, and we like to say it has, and we talk about engagement, and now there's free snacks at some places, but when you, when you really dig in, um, You know, there's not a lot of change there. And so now everyone's talking about transformation. Transformation is the new game. Most often it's digital transformation. That's what it was at uh, Gartner that all my uh, CIOs and CDOs and other CXOs wanted to talk about. And that is what they were talking about at GE when I joined there. And what we saw is that there's that real disconnect between the technology and what it can do. And the people in the organization, how the organization works. So um, what's interesting is, you know, software development, that world has given us Agile. And now everyone's talking about Agile, but really it's a lot of kind of fake Agile. They're just putting a, a, the Agile word in front of things and thinking it's it's different. But what's what's not happening is people are not focusing on, how do I have to change or transform? They're looking at how does this entity, this thing, or even these others have to change or transform. And that's the really insidious thing about transformation is it it starts with you, and it's hard. I um, mean, you, know, you know, they don't call it transformation for nothing. I mean, any any change you have to make, we are we are hardwired not to want change. Our brains want, you know, we want to know what to expect. We want to know where our place in the world is. There's things that are hardwired into us to to from survival, you know, from back in the in the the jungle days and the saber-toothed tiger that fight against change and transformation. But yet we're looking for solutions in things that are driven by technology or that are diagnostic like we can just rearrange the boxes on an org chart and that'll do it when it won't it's actually who we are and how we talk to each other and who we talk to that is having the biggest impact on do we change or not for, for me and and yeah you mentioned uh um the book i'm working on and and you know hopefully one day when someone's listening to this they will say oh i saw that book and i actually got it finished but what i want to what i want to do is i want to explore because i think that it's I, I think that the way the world is changing And the fact that the problems are changing so fast that we just can't keep up with it and we can never be enough anymore. We can never know enough anymore ourselves that we really have to tap into the most human parts of us and develop those to really succeed in this digital, constantly changing world. So uh, things like, do we value learning over knowing? We've talked about that. Do we value changing over protecting? protecting is what we're born to do but you know do we value the changing first we're not going to not protect something but are we going to look first is it the right thing to protect or is it become out of date or old since yesterday do we value the uh innovating over replicating now most organizations you go into they'll talk about innovation but when you really get down to it what do they want we want you <laughs> to uh we want you to scale it everybody loves to say oh, scale. the
0: number of The number of times I hear the word scaling and innovation, if you just sprinkle a little innovation on everything, it changes the world. Oh, it drives me nuts.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And there's this belief, hey, solve one problem with one group of people and you've solved the problem. But the issue is not the problem, the issue is the people solving it. And so we're, we're focusing on the wrong thing. Um, I think of like uh, journeying over following, and I'm not even sure if that's the right pairing of words, but we have a, a culture of, of execution, uh, You know, get it done. And companies have done really, really well in the past by having great thinkers, training top management talent, those management talent, they set the, the right strategy that's really savvy and, and right on, and then they have a bunch of people that go on and just execute the hell out of it. And, and that worked beautifully until it didn't, until... Even then, that time frame of we think about it, we explore it, we strategize it, then we tell you what we want, and then you start to figure it out, and then you execute it. Now, that's that's way too long. The cycle is, is much too fast. Everything has changed by the time you get to executing it. So, you know, we're in this world where there's small teams of people, uh, you know, Amazon and their two pizza teams. It's like, look, if it takes more than two pizza to feed the team, it, it's it's too big a team. It's a small team doing what they do and moving it forward into their own steam and their own initiative and coming up with what they do next. And, and that is... That is difficult for our organizations because it, it lets go of one of the primary things that we get when we, when we go up in an organization, which is power. Um, we have to we have to let lose control to gain engagement, and that's really counterproductive because it feels unsafe. Um, things like humanizing, over organizing. Do we value relationship and the person over the role? When I when I think about working with someone, do I think about oh they're an accountant level two, or do I think no that's that's Tanya? And this is what she's good at. And if I think about that role, then the person becomes fungible. But we all know if you've ever had change one boss for another, it's the same role, but the people sure aren't fungible.
0: Yeah, (laughs) sure. And they have
1: a big impact on what gets done or what doesn't.
0: So how do you set yourself up? And this is going, I guess, back a little bit to part one of this, but I think it transitions well. How do you set yourself up to, to, I guess, one, survive, but also to thrive i hate that it rhymes like that but how do you how do you set yourself up as an individual learner as you mentioned that the whole purpose or the whole uh, concept of this starts with you as an individual learner so if i think about myself as an organization how am i a at a baseline level surviving in the rapid pace of learning and there's no way i can learn everything in fact if i try to learn too much it becomes spread too thin but yet i also have to choose what to focus on when there's all these different things to learn so how can you and I'm thinking about this in the context of like a very ADD entrepreneurial mind where I think this opportunity or that opportunity or this opportunity. But how do you appropriately create yourself to be a learner that's keeping up with the way things are moving?
1: Well, I think one of the fundamental things that comes down to Matt is developing self awareness. So you can make choices about self management, how you manage what you do and how you relate to others in the world around you. And there are tons of resources out there at your fingertips. You don't need to know as much because you can find it out very quickly. But are you, are you, are you open to that? So I, what, what I what I think about, I, I, I've worked with a, um, a close friend of mine for about 15 years. Did a lot of great work at Gartner. He's got a company called Box of Crayons, Michael Bungay Stanier. He has a, a best-selling book, The Coaching Habit. And I, I think, almost at the time, I think the word coaching sells it short because what it's really about is creating some habits of asking questions and and why the questions um, and their particular questions and you have to kind of ask them of yourself and ask them of others. But the first thing about learning is realizing you don't know something, otherwise there's nothing to learn. And so really accessing your own ignorance, as Ed Schein would say, <laughs> and being willing um, to examine that and say, you know, what don't I know? Uh, maybe an example to make it more concrete because it get kind of esoteric. When I was at GE, I kept getting asked this question, well, what is a digital mindset? We kept hearing about this digital mindset. What is that? And I went and I did some research. I did some great work by Bob Keegan up at Harvard, and it was great stuff, but it wasn't something you could just lay out in a, in a meeting and people would immediately understand. And so I reduced it down to three simple behaviors that were based on questions, and I said, I want you to assume these th- I called them the three truths of the digital mind because, you know, pithy titles like survive and thrive, it always catches people's attention. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. It, I, it works, it you make,
0: know. It makes my stomach sick that I even said that. That's like the most cliche leading off title. Oh,
1: <laughs> oh well, I, I said the three or the five. I mean, that's always, that's even more cliche. But people will say, oh, I can learn three things. So I said, look, here's the three truths. The first one is I have a blind spot. The second one is, there's someone whose voice is missing from this. And the third one is there's another road to get there. And and the first one is really about me. The second one's about others. And the third is about the environment. So you kind of cover those three categories. And I say, now they say, well, what do I do with that? How's that digital? I said, well, if you assume those three things to be true, what are you going to do about it? In fact, more specifically, what are you going to do about it? Just one of them, one time tomorrow. So well, okay, I have a meeting we're deciding on XYZ project. I could, I could, I guess I could just ask the team, you know, hey, no harm, no foul. You got 10 minutes to say anything to me. What am I not seeing? I said, yeah, that's one. Somebody else said, you know what? I could reach out to this group I just pulled together and I and invited a group in on this topic. And I could kind of broaden that invitation out and say, who else needs to be in this meeting that I've overlooked uh, and that's my fault? And so it really starts to, if you have these questions then they can shape really simple behaviors, but those really simple behaviors are actually fairly profound because when you're leading the team and everyone's nodding at you saying, that's great. You've got good stuff you're saying there, Michael, you don't stop to say, what am I not seeing? Cause you're getting all this positive reinforcement for what you are seeing. So it changes <laughs> behavior quick... fun- profoundly just by asking the question.
0: Sorry, I totally, I didn't mean to cut you off on that. Uh, mm-hmm. a, a quick note on that that's goes hand in hand. So I had, I had my first like official board meeting with our, with our startup and we're, finishing up an investment round and everybody. So one of the things that I I called the board members beforehand, I said, okay, what could I do well and what could I do poorly during this meeting? And every single person individually made the comment. If everybody is sitting there nodding their head saying, good job, or this is good. That's exciting. A, you have royally put together the wrong board. And secondly, you're not going to get anything out of that uh, meeting at all because what you want, you want controversy in a setting like that. You want people who are not afraid to ask challenging questions. You want people who are not afraid to disagree with each other. It's going to create a much healthier environment than that. And so, I think that goes. So, I, I think that's such a good point in the context of seeking out, like, basically even feedback in a sense. But you want people who are not afraid to actually offer that, rather than say, "No, no, you're good. You don't. No, no improvements
1: to be made." like what? Yeah. And it, and it's funny because they're such simple things and yet they're incredibly hard. And we'll, we'll fool ourselves. We'll say like, well, I asked what the team thought. It's like, yeah. I mean, you have to practically beg people uh, to tell you what they're really thinking because there are all sorts of dynamics. There are different ways people relate. Some just keep it inside. There are always power dynamics. I mean, the best piece of advice I think I ever got from one of my mentors, Mr. Jean-Claude Cassavant, many years ago. He said, the higher you go in an organization, the harder it will, get to, harder it will be to find anyone who tells you the truth. <laughs> so you have to cultivate people who are willing to call you on your own shit and that have peel, feel perfectly safe walking and closing the door and say, you are totally wrong and I'm going to tell you why. And you listen to them and you thank them. You might not agree with them in the end, But you've got to cultivate that. And it's cultivation. It's not just making one ask. And I think most of our leaders don't know that they're not trained to do that. And it's a hard thing to do. It's a humbling thing to do. And let's face it, the kind of rock star executive culture that many of our organizations breed does not breed humble leaders.
0: No. How do you so... I think in the conversations we've had, you're pretty honest, straightforward guy, not afraid to receive feedback and give feedback. So I, I'll ask this with that mindset. How do you approach somebody and slash as the role of chief learning officer slash somebody who just cares about people? How do you sort of encourage that mentality among somebody who's not prepared or ready to do that?
1: Yeah, um,
0: <laughs> sorry. Think... That's like that. That's going back to like the psycholo- psychology days from your undergrad. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, but it's 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 the absolutely the right question. It's a great question, and uh, the the thing that comes to mind for me, I'm not sure if it's right, but is you have to go there first. You have to you have to show it to them. You have to role model it, um, and that you know most people think that people are looking for a strong leader, and and I think they are, but strong is not knowing everything. Um, you know, all of Brene Brown's great work on vulnerability, she makes a comment. She says that when you're being open and vulnerable, um, almost without fail, it feels to you like weakness and it's scary. And she says to the people that are experiencing it almost without fail, it feels to them like strength and courage. And I I think that we, we forget that. And so, you know, for me, I'm, first of all, I'm not going to convince anybody to, try behaving in a way that I won't behave in, which is where most of our big change and transformation initiatives, you know, fail. Everybody else is gonna do something different. Not me, I'm good as is, but all of you have to change and all of this has to change. So you have to be willing to. I think um, I I actually do, I wrote a piece of research in an article for a couple of magazines and have done um, some speaking occasionally on what I call uh, the five kind of critical questions for digital transformation. And one of them has to do with, you know, sort of are you, you know, ready willing and able yourself to transform. And I cite um, the example of uh, Abby Johnson, uh, the uh, head of uh, Fidelity. And when, when um, uh, the technology started to emerge and, and blockchain distributed ledger technology first started to come out, I think she realized in some conversations this could have a big impact on financial services. Now she doesn't come from a um, technology background, and, and certainly, you know, being a a, a billionaire, uh, you know, having you know come into the company through the family, you could say, well, what does she need to do to learn and change and grow? But she set out to become in her industry amongst her peers, a bit of a thought leader in blockchain in financial services. And you could say she did that, and that's great she's embracing digital, but I think what was more important about that is that she clearly didn't know anything about it, and at the beginning made that very clear. And so she came out and said, I'm ignorant about this, but I'm going to learn, and that's okay. And I think whether it was intentional or not, I like to think it is. I haven't had the chance to ask her personally, but I've talked to people around her. I think there was an intention to role model it's okay not to know it's not okay to pretend you do and stay ignorant. And I think that's a a powerful message. And I think that, you know, it's one of the reasons that they've had some real success, I think, in in transforming, you know, parts of their business and what they do and how they see customers and becoming, you know, more digital in a company that is, you know, very traditional. It's been around a long while.
0: Right. I like that. That's, uh, I'm, I'm going to have to do some digging on that because I, I I guess I didn't even know the extent of that how how blindly she walked into that avenue and how much of an expert she quickly became that. So I'll, I'll do some digging on that. That's fascinating. So within the context of all of this, it, what what would you say is next for you as a, somebody in a corporate environment who's creating systems for learning, creating systems to get people to take it to the next step in their learning environment or not, go from not learners to learners? But what's, what would you say is next steps for you uh, I guess personally, in all of this, I mean, where are you headed yeah. as a learner?
1: Well, I, I'm learning how to do all this stuff. I mean, there's a. I was actually talking to someone earlier today, and we we did a piece of research that, as, as as of yet, unpublished, We're talking through how we're going to publish it and with whom. But and maybe my uh, maybe my uh, superiors at Bloomberg will hear this and say, "Wait, doesn't he know what he's doing?" But. <laughs> The fact of the matter is that when it comes to change and transformation, that's what really engages me because I believe that the ability to change is going to be one of the fundamental survive and thrive success measures for individuals as as the world changes. And I think that I don't want to see our entire generation of people who are not raised that way kind of fall victim to it and, and, and fall off the grid. And um, so when you're trying to drive change or transformation, help an organization do that, there's generally from two vantage points, the outside or the inside. Outside, you're the consultant of the consulting firm, and you've got the attention of the executive team because they've paid a whole load of money to be talking to you. And you create a strategy and an idea and a big picture and a vision, and and people love it. And at that top level, they get on board and get excited. And it may even be the right one. But does it really manifest all the way through over time and result in real transformation? And moreover, do they learn how to transform if you've come in and do it for them? Say, okay, well, then let's do it inside. And you go inside an organization like I have, and now you're a part of it. And people are going to want to see you as a role, and they're going to want to see you as the way they see that role. And we all know that when you don't meet expectations, people don't like that. And so you have to constantly renegotiate the social contract, reset expectations, uh, change who you are and what's going on say to people the way we've been doing it isn't necessarily the right way which is uncomfortable and if they are part of creating that they don't like to hear that that's the classic innovators dilemma so um you know for me what i'm trying to learn right now in this role is can we as an organization really become great learners i mean bloomberg is is an organization built on innovation Um, and and yet we still have to learn how to innovate i think our human systems because we function like most other organizations do um, and we fall you know our our um, our strengths you know become our, our weaknesses and so knowing the most about our field cuz we invented it sometimes mean we forget to say what don't we know because we're so used to knowing so for me i what what i really want to do is i really want while i'm here to be able to see the needle move and just be able to say, uh, people say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm better at learning than I was. I'm better at changing than I was. Um, I, I, I let go of the things that are hard to let go of, and I'm doing that better. And, and for me, I think that the, the way I'm going to see that is going to be a couple of things. One, there's potentially some you know uh, new tools out there, like I'm engaging with a startup company called Learn, L-I-R-R-N, and George Swisher, their CEO. They kind of uh, help you engage people, engage how you're doing and, and against you know, objectives and goals like that. But also, it's do you, do you hear the language change I mean, language is huge. And so do you hear people holding each other accountable to or challenging each other to learn more than they know or to humanize more than they organize or to explore more than they execute? And once you start hearing that language, you'll know something's changed. I'm three months in here. Um, They're still getting to know me. and I think they're still wondering, who is this guy? So we'll see what happens. (laughs)
0: <laughs> that's awesome no that's great um so i want to make sure i'm covering a little bit on the on the on the personal side too i mean one of my favorite questions in the world to ask and uh, is just the whole concept of what gets you out of bed in the morning and what gets you the most fired up obviously teaching we covered a little bit of that teaching learning helping others learn but for you what is it truly at the core of who you are that helps you get out of bed in the morning and maybe Uh, because it's you I'm going to ask a little bit more of a challenging version of that how did you learn to find that
1: yeah great question um what I really love to do is create a space whether it's small and intimate and independent or large and digitized whatever it is create a space that people can step into to become more than they are and to grow Uh, that's what I love to do and it can manifest in a lot of different ways and um how I came to know that was actually through working with my my colleague Michael Bungay Stanier. I mentioned um, his, his his company was built around uh, what he calls helping companies do less good work and more great work. And he's got a, a a book called Do More Great Work, and it's it's a lot of like back of the napkin sort of little maps and things. And um, one of the exercises that he he uh, created, we taught as a part of coaching skills all across Gartner and now many other organizations, um, you know, around the globe. And it's it's about telling your great work story. So what I learned to do was I, I, I put myself in a position with him and then with others over time where I would tell stories of great work. I could say, here's a story of when when I knew that I was doing the right thing, when I was kind of who I was meant to be, when I was in the flow. And i just tell the story and not make up or interpret it, just tell the story. And after I told a few of those stories, I could step back and say, what are some themes that are popping up there? And one of the themes that popped up was spotting talent, spotting possibility in organizations and people, and then saying, what kind of space do we have to create to explore that potential and that possibility? And what kind of provocation and and love do we have to give this organization to these people to step into it and to grow? And it's, it's much easier with people. Than it is with organizations because the organizations are much more complex. It's a harder, longer question to answer. But that's that's my great work. That's what I love to do. I've I think I like to think I've gotten pretty good at doing it for individuals and maybe even teams. Um, I don't know that I've cracked the code on how do I do it for organizations. So I, I guess it's I guess I want to do what I do best, but but now do you know the next? I want to level up on that.
0: I love that. That's phenomenal. And it's it's funny how you help others learn and yet you're learning how to help others learn as you're doing it. I mean, it's that's like I I love that mentality and I love that style of work and people who aren't afraid to do that because it's basically showing a you know your skill set, you know what you're able to understand and you know what you're you know able to ultimately teach, but also you're not afraid to sort of figure it out as you go along, which I think the world needs more of that.
1: Well, you know, and some of the I got some of these things are hard for me As I mean, as I've gotten, I've worked really hard on self awareness, and um, I've still got a ways to go. But some of the things about me that are actually true that I don't like to see are, um, I mean, I'm, I'm enjoying this, I, I like a stage, I like a spotlight, I need to be recognized for my contribution. Um, I can, uh, I can start to think that my all my ideas are the best ones and that you know these people especially in organizations in the past all of these people above me they just don't get it and you know maybe some of what i thought was right but that that um you know uh, there's nothing worse than being right and yet being such um a jerk about it that no one's going to listen to you and no one's going to have an opportunity to hear that and i have a uh, another uh, colleague uh, mark boden does great work on this body language of communication and he starts out his his uh, his ted talk um uh, really talking about, look, I don't want to be on this stage because I'm up here on stage in the bright light, giving you my life's work. And you're sitting out there in the dark judging me, He goes, this is not the natural me, the natural me wants nothing to do with you people. But I think I have an idea worth sharing. And so I'm not being authentic. I'm being inauthentic and I'm being something I'm not naturally because it's the thing I need to do. And that's what's hard. Um, and so for me, when I was telling my son this the other day, I said, look, in, in life, if you want to move forward, you got to go where the fear is. You got to find the fear and you got to go where it is. And that's a really hard thing to do because, again, we're programmed to do just the opposite.
0: That's such a good point. And that's, I feel like that needs to be put on a quote, put on a quote or tattooed somewhere. It's, it's just, that's just great life life
1: advice. It's when you such, come out to the city, we can go to one of these New York City tattoo parlors and get it done, man.
0: Oh, love it. Love it. I'm thinking <laughs> right, right, right on the forehead, inner bicep or something like that. Right for everybody to see. <laughs> love it. Well, Michael, is there anything else you want to leave the audience with?
1: Uh, no. Um. Thanks for the. Uh, thanks for inviting me to do this. And um, of course. I, actually, yes, I will. Um. If you don't mind, can I tell the audience how we met? Uh, absolutely. I'd love that. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, we talk about a networked world, but um, I was uh, I got to know a uh, a man who was truly brilliant uh, named Bob Mesta, with company Rewired, and Bob goes way back with Clayton Christensen, and, and just you know one is the man who inspires me to think and. Um, I get this this um, you know email out of the blue with no other explanation. Michael, you need to meet Matt. Matt meet Michael. That's it. That's all he gives you. Boom. Sends it out. <laughs> there it goes. And yet, if you know Bob, you're like, okay, damn it, I got to get a hold of this guy, <laughs> you know, because he sees those things and those connection points. And I think that that's one of his gifts to the world. But I think it's one of these gifts that we can all give is connecting each other. My my life is so much richer. And the opportunities i've had you know going back to one of your earlier questions have been so much greater because i'm willing to just have the conversation and see where it goes um another friend of mine is a great speaker dory clark says if you talk to one person every day that you normally wouldn't talk to it will change your life and i think that's just you know that's one of the things we can do in a world that is so fast-paced you can't know everything you don't have to know everything but you can know a lot of people and you can introduce them to other people and you can be a bit of a spark or a hub of a network that grows. And I think in our digital world, that's a real superpower. So, I mean, it's it's worked out well for us so far, at least for this, you know, our enjoyable conversations, this great, enjoyable conversation. And I have no doubt that our paths are going to continue to cross and intersect in the future for a mutual benefit just because somebody said, hey, Matt, talk to Michael, Michael, talk to Matt
0: little treasure hunt you have no idea what you're about to find but you're going to continue finding it along the way
1: absolutely
0: (laughs) i think he described it as a scavenger hunt because it's it starts out with uh i have no idea why you guys need to talk but and you guys don't either and we're all just gonna have to figure
1: it out Yep. yeah (laughs) and what a great what a great role modeling i mean because bob is a very successful guy and a very busy guy but what a great modeling of accessing your ignorance you know i just get the sense i don't know why I'm not going to have to have a media. I'm not going to have to reason that makes me look cool. I'm going to say, I don't know, but you should talk, which could be a throwaway, but it's not.
0: Uh, Never, especially when you connect two people with that same attitude. Sure, I'll take a call. I don't need to have an agenda. Don't have one, and we'll see where it goes. Absolutely, that's phenomenal. Well, thanks for sharing that. That's awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show. This was a blast. This is. uh, I got to go back and do some more learning myself. So this is phenomenal.
1: Well, it's absolutely been my pleasure. Anything I can help with, you know, I'm here for, and um, I know we'll uh, see each other. And Well, actually, we haven't met in person yet, and we'll do that sometime soon, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. But it's a pleasure. I'm honored to be on your podcast. Awesome. Thanks a ton. Cool.